You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Before I get into the message, I want to give you a quick update on the team that we sent, uh, the missions team we sent last Sunday to Germany. They are hosting a conference for Connection, the student ministry that's there in Germany. And you can tell from this picture, they look scary happy. <laughs> kind of. That was my first thought when I saw that. Man, they're... I remember being in Germany, whenever we take pictures, they would have an American picture you take and then a German picture. The German picture, no smiles. Then the American picture, all smiles. So this is the American version. The reason they're doing this, I was told, is this is the 22nd anniversary of that ministry. So this was the night that they kind of had a party to celebrate that um, ministry. So I want to ask you just to continue to pray for them. They've got a couple days left in hosting this conference for all of these students uh, from Europe. And then they get on a plane on Tuesday and uh, fly back on Tuesday. So just continue to pray for them as they wrap up uh, the trip that they're on there in Germany. Now let's shift gears to the message today. We're in the middle of a three-part message series entitled Difference Maker. We're looking at how you and I as ordinary individuals can really make a difference in this world. And you've noticed probably the verse cards that were on the chairs when you came in this morning. These uh, cards have on it the verse that is our theme verse for this message series. So I encourage you, if you weren't here last week or didn't take one with you and you'd like to, go ahead and take one with you and just use it in any way you want to kind of remind you of the ideas that we're talking about in this series. And then we also encourage you to to use it to memorize uh, this verse uh, for the series. Uh, Recently, I was reading an article that was listing some of the the amazing inventions that are being worked on right now that, if they're successful, could really make a big difference in our world. Uh, One of the inventions that caught my eye was plastic-eating bugs. Plastic-eating bugs that could solve the plastic waste crisis that's facing our world. Now, honestly, as I thought about this, I wasn't sure what was worse, bugs that could eat plastic loose in the world or all this plastic. I mean, they're they're both kind of scary options. Another one I noticed was uh, 3D organ printers that could revolutionize organ transplants. They would use the the cells of the patient who needs uh, an organ and would print the organ based on those cells, which would reduce uh, the rejection, also increase the availability of, of organs that are in such demand. Then I noticed that they're working on salt based car batteries. So this could lower the expense of electric cars as well as solve the problems of what to do with all of these lithium batteries that are about to head into some place somewhere. So these are pretty amazing inventions. Now, unless you're working on one of these or a handful of other world-changing inventions, it probably can seem like your chances of making a real difference in this world are pretty slim. But it turns out the most powerful uh, agent of change that this world has ever seen has already been invented. It already exists. It does not need to be invented. And it is the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. The news that he came to save us and change us. Because what people in this world need more than plastic-eating bugs and salt-based car batteries and even 3D organ printers is the help and the forgiveness of God. Just imagine how different your neighborhood would be or your workplace would be if more people would accept this great gift. I mean, just think of it. What, what if God's power was at work in more people in your neighborhood, more people in this community, at work in them, helping them to want to do what is right, and then helping them accomplish more than they ever could on their own? 
Now, I'm all for new inventions. I think they're pretty exciting. But nothing comes close to the power of Jesus Christ to change our world, one heart at a time. And that's the mission that God invites us to be a part of. First of all, to accept that gift, and then to offer that gift to the people that God puts in our life. So in order for this kind of world-changing difference to occur, it requires us to take the initiative, to speak up, to say something about this great gift. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, Jesus gives us a list of eight ways that the gospel, which means the good news, can change individual lives. They all begin with the same word. The word is blessed, which means happy. Not just surface happy, but happy in the deepest way. This list is now commonly known as the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude means a state of utmost bliss. Most of our happiness is of the surface variety. We're happy because our day is going well or the circumstances are favorable for us. And what that does is that makes our happiness kind of a, a roller coaster ride, up and down based on how we're feeling, how our world is treating us, how our circumstances are. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, blesses us, brings happiness to us in a way that is profoundly different. It gives us access to a happiness, a joy that is independent of our circumstances. Circumstances will still affect us, but we now have access to a different reason for happiness than our circumstances. And it allows us to be blessed, to be joyful. Now, the final item on this list of eight sources of happiness comes from the fact that we are called to take the initiative to offer this gift to others. Now, Jesus is pretty honest about the risk of initiating this conversation. Here's the last beatitude, Matthew 5, verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think this is the most shocking of the eight. We're going to look through the eight, but see if you agree with me. I think this is the most shocking one. I mean, first of all, what does persecution have to do with happiness? It sounds like the road to unhappiness, not happiness. And it says this persecution occurs because of righteousness. Righteousness simply means to do what God says is right. That's the root of the word, right, to do what God says is right. So why would anyone turn against someone for trying to do the right thing? Most people applaud moral improvement efforts. They don't respond to them with insults and persecution. But Jesus is talking more about moral effort in this beatitude. So to be clear about what he's talking about, Jesus goes on to say more about this beatitude than he does in any of the others. The other beatitudes are just simple statements. This one is basically three verses because he wants us to understand completely what it is he's saying is blessed in this effort. The next verse, verse 11, goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you, so it's kind of a repeat, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So, first of all, it was because of righteousness. Jesus goes on to say, well, really, it's also because of me. So, this really isn't about people who are simply trying to improve, improve their moral scorecard. This is about people who have properly read their moral scorecard and realized that they can't do enough to elevate it in order to be right before God. They understand their moral failure. And therefore, they have asked Jesus to be their Savior which means the only one who can forgive, the only one who can give them 
a passing grade. And they've asked Jesus to be their Lord, which means the only one that they're going to follow in life. They're going to lead, let Jesus lead them through life. So that's the decision when Jesus says, because of me. That's what he offers, Savior and Lord. These are people who have made that decision. Now, that would be fine if they'd made that decision and kept it to themselves. But this, the people that Jesus is talking about haven't. They've decided that it's selfish to keep this happiness secret all to themselves. So they've chosen to take the initiative, which is what we're talking about in this message, to strike up a conversation, to open their mouths, and in appropriate ways to tell other people about Jesus. And that's the decision that's driving this persecution, these insults. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you probably know what Jesus is talking about. I mean, you can talk to people about spirituality without any repercussions. You could even talk to them about God. You can offer to pray for people, and most people will be grateful. They will thank you. But as soon as you bring up the J word, as soon as you mention Jesus, things not always but often can get tense. Why? Because Jesus is a real historical person. He's not just an idea that people can define all different kinds of ways. You know, spirituality, you can read all different def definitions about what that means. Even God, there's all different kinds of ideas about God. But Jesus was a person who actually walked on this earth, and therefore there's an historical record of what he said and what he did. And that forces the person to make a decision, whether they agree or disagree with what he said and what he did. The challenge is you can't stay neutral about Jesus, at least if you look into what he said. If you choose not to even investigate it, well, then you can kind of stay, I don't know if neutral would be the right term, but unaware of who he is. But when you get to know who the real Jesus is, the one who walked the earth in Palestine 2,000 years ago, and you read what he said, and you read what he did, well, now you have to make a decision. You can't stay neutral about the real Jesus. No one could when he walked here on earth. No one was neutral about him then. And no one really who knows about him can be neutral about him now. So here's the dilemma that we face. People around us are unhappy. We literally are surrounded by unhappiness. And we know the source to happiness is Jesus Christ. But as soon as we mention Jesus, we risk rejection. So here's the choice we face. Here's the dilemma. Will we, out of fear, keep this happiness secret to ourselves, or will we share it? Now, Jesus was clear on which choice brought longer-term happiness to us, and that is the choice to share it. That's why he says, blessed, happy, deeply joyful, blissed out are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of me. They choose to speak. Why? It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is they have gained access to the great well of happiness and joy that is true in heaven. They now have access to that. They're not limited to all of the blows to, or to happiness that occur here on earth. They now have 
resources, joy access that's beyond this earth. They, heaven, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is the only phrase that's repeated in the Beatitudes, the whole list of eight. It's also repeated in the very first Beatitude. Here's what the first Beatitude says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here it is again. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in the first Beatitude, a person realizes their spiritual poverty, and they decide that the source of happiness is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus really is kind of like the umbilical cord of resources, kind of like a, a diver who's got air pumped from the surface down to the mask. Jesus is that umbilical cord of air, of joy from heaven. They've realized that, and they've accepted Jesus. But in this final beatitude, the happiness comes not as you discover this source of happiness, but as you help someone else discover it, help you get the mask on their face so that they can begin drawing a joy that is beyond what this planet offers. And what Jesus is saying is there's just no greater joy than helping someone else discover this happiness. You know, you're not just helping them with a temporary problem. You're helping them with an eternal one. Their life and their eternity will be changed forever because you took the initiative and you said something. But surprisingly few have ever tasted of this happiness of helping someone else discover the gift of Jesus. And the reason so few have tasted this is for one big reason. They don't want to risk the, re the rejection. Now, let's be clear. In our culture, we don't risk being arrested in jail time or death for talking about Jesus, like is true in other places right now around this world and at other times. That's not our dilemma right now. What we risk is being rejected, being ridiculed. And one of the big values in our culture is to be popular, to be cool, to, to fit in. We are trained that in our schooling, and we live with that high value throughout our lives. Our big goal is to fit in. So many of us walk through a daily sea of unhappiness, and we keep the secret of happiness to ourselves because we fear the rejection. So the question is this. That's kind of where we are. Why would we then take the initiative to open our mouths and talk about Jesus? The only reason, and I'll speak for myself on this, the only reason that I do that is because our love for people is greater than our fear of people. This is the choice that we face throughout our days. Do I love people more or do I fear them more? The previous seven Beatitudes not only tell us of the happiness that the gospel brings, the good news of Jesus brings, but it also paints a pretty stark and vivid picture of the unhappiness that the gospel saves us from. So what I want to do this morning is walk through the other seven Beatitudes from a different angle, from the unhappiness side of what the gospel saves us from. These really are seven reasons for us to take the initiative to love people and take the risk to tell them about Jesus. So let's look through these. Number one, we are surrounded by spiritual poverty. We're surrounded by spiritual poverty. So again, the first beatitude says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in this community, we live about as far from poverty as you can on this planet. 
I mean, we see glimpses of it on the streets. We can drive to places that are far less privileged than our neighborhoods. But our daily experience is more with wealth than with poverty. So it's hard for us, with just a passing kind of glance at poverty, it's hard for us to really see the sadness and the tragedy and how destitute it is to be poor. For me, I had never really had a close-up encounter with poverty until I traveled to Ghana, Africa, years ago. And I'll never forget seeing the desperation on their faces. Again and again, I had to choke back tears. I had to just pull back. It was just overwhelming that people were living like this. I mean, the disease, the, the hunger. The thing I hadn't anticipated is the injustice that they had to endure. I just couldn't have imagined it. Now, I'd seen these things on TV, but now I was there, and this was not a channel that I could change. Here were people like me with absolutely no power to change their circumstances. That's one of the things that struck me the most. You know, if I, if I face a devastating circumstance, there's some resources, there's some people, there's some access, there's some understanding of how I might respond to that. But for the people in Ghana, injustice happens and they just have to take it. They have no recourse. I'll never forget seeing the children I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to be a parent of a child like this. Here's a, a boy who's common, stomach's bloated from malnutrition. I remember one woman with the entire side of her face swollen with disease. What had happened is she had an abscess, and it just she couldn't get to a dentist. She's in a village in northern Ghana, and it just it got to about this size. So we, we gave money to this woman and got her arrangement for a dentist. We would give money to people who needed it for food. But every time we would contribute, there was a sense that this is like a, a drop in the ocean of need. It's, it's just ongoing. So the wealth and the comfort of this community makes the spiritual poverty that is below the surface covered up. It masks it. When you think of spiritual poverty, the fact is, that's the kind of poverty that goes on forever. People all around us have no power to change themselves. They have no power to change their marriages. They have no power to change their children. And they are sinking deeper and deeper into spiritual poverty and hopelessness. Number two, we are surrounded by inconsolable grief. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Many people in our community will go to sleep tonight with a grief for which they can find no comfort. Their marriages are broken. Their lives are broken. And they experience a guilt that will not end. Some will not be able to sleep but, but just a few hours tonight. Many will finally fall asleep only after they have drunk enough, taken enough, watched enough, to at least temporarily numb the pain they feel on the inside. But then they'll wake up in the morning only to be greeted by the pain of another day that just won't go away. Now as it gets warmer here in Huntington Beach, as the summer comes, the windows of our neighborhoods tend to stay open longer. And if your neighborhood is like most, especially if you're closer to downtown, 
you will hear the sounds of this grief in your neighbors. Number three, we're surrounded by sad endings. Lives that don't turn out the way that they'd hoped they would. Verse five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Inheritance is about receiving benefits in the distant future. The earth is inherited when, after decades of building the kind of life that pleases God, you get to see God's blessing in your life. Not only in your life, but in the lives of those that you've invested in. And there is a, a happiness and a joy that comes out of that that is unparalleled in this world. But not many are inheriting the earth in our community. That's because not many are meek. Meek means to live within God's limits. Not many have decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to listen to what God says about life, and I'm going to live within the limits of what he says. My moral decisions will reflect what he says is right. Not many in our community have made that decision. And the result of those decisions tend not to show up soon. They tend to show up at an inheritance distance after decades of defying God. They tend to show up then. So since inheritance is a late-in-life experience, you can see this sadly sadness primarily in the senior citizens of our community. Those are the ones that are reaping the life that they have sown after decades. Now, there are exceptions. But as a group, the senior citizens of our community are not a happy bunch. They spend much of their time complaining about something. Complaining about the government, complaining about their kids, complaining about their health, or complaining about technology. And honestly, who can blame them? Here's the challenge that we see in this community. The senior citizens of this community, in large, have prepared financially for the last decades of their life. They prepared well. But they have not, in mass, and I know there's exceptions in this room, but they have not, in mass, prepared spiritually for the last decades of their life. And old age is the final test of life. I think it's the most brutal test, if you make it this far. And it is not a test that you can cram for. It's a test that you prepared for in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s. And now the test has come. Few in our community are prepared for this greatest of tests because they are facing it without God. Number four, we are surrounded by emptiness. Verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The challenge in our community is not many people are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and therefore they are empty. They hunger and thirst for all kinds of other things that never fill. There are some in our community that go to bed physically hungry, but as we mentioned, in general, most of us are well-fed physically. It's the souls of the people of our community that are empty. They have lost 
appetite for what will really fill them. And this inside emptiness presents itself as loneliness, boredom, an apathy about the future. There's just nothing. It's like what would happen if you stopped eating. You would get lethargic. This is what has happened to the souls of so many in our community. They don't care. Lethargy of soul is everywhere. Now, the previous form of unhappiness, the one we just talked about, is more pronounced in the older generation. This is more pronounced in the younger generation. Our culture right now is churning out an increasing percentage of young adults that have almost no drive in life. They're like watching the children of Ghana who have eaten nothing for days laying under a tree. They've got no gumption, no energy, no drive. Now, again, there are exceptions. I'm talking about the general trends. And the reason for this trend, there's you know, a lot of people written about this. There's a lot of ideas about why this has happened and the effect even that COVID had on this, and those are real. But I propose that the biggest reason for this lethargy is that our culture has mocked what God has said is right for decades, and it has destroyed any thirst for righteousness among the upcoming generation. And the result is a deep, deep emptiness. Number five, we are surrounded by anger and fear. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think we can all agree that mercy is not very common in our culture, especially since COVID. There's no mercy to be found anywhere, hardly. I mean, just make a driving mistake this afternoon. Or stand behind a retail counter for a day, and you will experience the rage that is boiling just below the surface of our culture. A rage that is fueled by decades of consumerism and selfishness. I mean, we demand a life. We demand service, a high level of service. And if we don't get what we demand, we feel every right to rage. There's a price to pay for the people who don't serve us well. Now, since mercy is rarely given, the converse is also true. It's rarely received. And that puts most people in fear. You see, anger is the evidence of mercy not given. Fear is the evidence of people who have not received mercy. If you've not received mercy, if you live in a toxic, merciless culture, you have this sense of, I better not mess up. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't, because there's no mercy. So you live in fear. You're always one misstep away from failure. So years of living in this toxic, merciless environment drive both anger and fear deep into the hearts of our community. Number six, we are surrounded by confusion. For all of the experts that write all of the articles, people are still really confused about what to do about almost anything in their life. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What's the advantage of seeing God? 
You get help with direction. You get help with problems. The moral decline and the impurity, it says pure in heart, the moral decline and impurity of our culture has come at a steep price. People no longer see God. They often don't even think about him. They have pushed God out of their lives and out of their minds in order to gain moral freedom. But the price of that freedom has become steep. The steep is that there is now, the, the price is that there is now no moral reference point that's big enough, that's bigger than them to guide them through this life. As people make decisions, all they're doing now is checking their gut, their feelings, their heart. And as a person in the middle of a jungle with no compass, they navigate in circles, find themselves back to the same point that they've been with the same problems they've experienced. Different people, different job, different state, same problem. Because there's no reference point. There's no God-sized reference point that can guide them through the maze of life. Having smashed their God compasses, life now for most people has become very confusing. And problems that are real have become more overwhelming than they really need to be. Now, God is ready to guide them through the maze of life, but they just don't see him, as it says. Jesus, I think, had a great description on this because this is not just a modern challenge. This has been a human condition throughout all of recorded history. What Jesus said about this, observing the people of his day, is they are like sheep without a shepherd. They're sheep trying to graze their way through life. They need a shepherd. Number seven, the last one, we are surrounded by loneliness. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers. Unresolved conflict is all around us now. Marriages that are broken under the weight of conflict. And the war is now being carried out through the children. Family members that haven't spoken to each other for years. Employers and employees that have done wrong to each other. Carry in their hearts the bitterness and the mistrust of long-term hurt. The cumulative effect of all of this not peacemaking, all of this unresolved conflict, is loneliness. Why? What conflict does is it creates an ever-deepening distrust of people. The more conflict you have, the, the less peace that you make with people. The more you grow to distrust people. The more your first take is, what's your angle? And therefore the farther and farther back into your own cave of protectiveness you need to go. And eventually, no one really knows you. No one really cares about you. You're safer, but you're all alone. And it also creates a growing distance from the God who offers us his peace. Because often we learn about God from other people, but if we don't trust people... How can we trust anyone to tell us about their relationship with God? We always think there's some angle. So I would summarize 
the sadness that Jesus describes in the Beatitude is this. We are surrounded by poor, spiritually poor, grieving, empty, angry, fearful, lost, and lonely people who are today one day closer to living this way for all of eternity. Let me say it again. We're surrounded by poor, grieving, empty, angry, fearful, lost, and lonely people who are one day closer to living this way for eternity. Now, if you let that sink in, it's, it's enough to make you cry, if you think about it. It made Jesus cry. Luke 19, 41 through 42, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The, the, this peace that you're seeking for is right there, but you're blind to it. You can't see it. And Jesus broke down and cried as he looked over the city of Jerusalem and saw what was really true of the people. What do you see when you look at this community? I see beautiful people. You know, I was down at Pacific City yesterday, and I, my first thought was, am I getting uglier or is everybody getting more beautiful? Because, like, I know I'm getting older, which, you know, is kind of like getting uglier. But it was just, wow, this is stunning people down here. So I see beautiful people. I see expensive cars. And I see even more expensive houses, right? I see confident people, capable people, who look like they don't need any help at all. But below that thin veneer, what's really happening is hearts are breaking. It's just a cover for the desperation on the inside. This is why for us as a church, we set a goal. If you've been with us, you know this goal. Here it is. We want to become a church where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, moves out from us like a groundswell that brings restoration, that reverses these realities. This will happen, not because we want it to happen, not because we're almost tearing up about this. This will happen as each of us takes next steps towards sharing the gospel with the goal of 100 of us inviting someone to respond to the gospel over the next year. That's by the end of this year. This spring, we offered a series of training meetings. Many of you were part of that to help us figure out how do we take next steps? What, how do we do this? And many of you at that time indicated that you wanted to make it your goal to share the gospel with someone this year and invite them to respond. So now with the rest of the year, we really want to help you, encourage you, resource you, pray for you. So if you haven't already, let us know, and you want to adopt this goal for yourself, let us know so that we can pray for you, get resources to you if that would be helpful, encourage you, give you opportunities. You can use the connection card that Joanna talked about to do that. If you're filling out the conne uh, physical connection card, just say in that the blank spot on the back, I want to share the gospel this year. We'll know that we can pray for you. 
If you use the digital app and you think, man, I already clicked send, it's done. This is the one thing on the internet that you can edit. You can open up your phone, go on the app, click connection card, and it'll pop up. I've been told this, so if not, we'll correct it. But it, it'll pop up what you've already filled out, and you can then, there's a button there you can click. One of the options is to let us know you want to be a part of the, the one of the 100. It's going to share the gospel this year with someone. You don't have to know who that is, but you have to decide, I really want to do that. And I'll, I'll take the courage, I'll take the initiative to do that. Matthew 5, verse 12, is the last verse in the Beatitudes. And it is a further explanation on the last Beatitude. As you've noticed, the other seven Beatitudes are just one-liners, kind of two phrases, one sentence. This last Beatitude about sharing with others and the insults that might result from it, that's three entire verses. And here's the last verse about this one. Verse 12 says, Rejoice! And be glad. Remember again, we're talking about insults, persecution. Jesus says, here's my summary statement on that. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What he's saying is, if you decide to take the initiative, open your mouth, and you get rejected, you are joining a line of happiness unparalleled in human history. Great is your reward. Now? No. Great is your reward in heaven. This, I think, is really the last happiness choice. Do you want to be happier now or happier then? That's a question we face a lot. Do you want to be happier now or happier then? You know what my answer is? I'd like both. And that's okay. There is happiness here. So if you can get happiness here and happiness there, choose that option. But we all face situations where we must pick one. Am I going to be happy now or happier in eternity? And telling people about Jesus is one of those moments where we have to choose. Too often, we choose not to risk our happiness now. And we pass on the happiness that could be. So I invite you to join us. And ask God to help you be one of the 100 this year to take the initiative and speak up. Let's pray. Father, we, um, you know this, we're naturally selfish. We just, we really just want to be happy, at least left alone. But all around us, there is a spiritual poverty and desperateness and loneliness and sadness that calls us to live beyond ourselves, calls us to look at people differently, calls us to pray for the opportunities to speak up, and calls us to take the initiative to move towards people and listen to them and share the great source of happiness that we found in you, Jesus. I pray in the middle of this wealthy, impoverished community that we live in, that, oh God, you'd help us this year to see the opportunities and take the opportunities to share the good news with the people you've put in our life. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.